0: Everybody knows about Amazon and the institutional yes versus the institutional no, right? So anyone that doesn't at Amazon, you got to say yes to things by default. If you say no, you got to write a memo as to why. I think historically, a, a lot of deal desk functions and a lot of revenue functions kind of drive the institutional no versus starting starting with the institutional yes. I think part of what's made Matt's organization and my organization work a lot more closely together is moving away from that from a cultural perspective and not necessarily starting with an institutional yes but i'll take an (laughs) institutional maybe right (laughs) just be kind of being willing to to have a conversation that's constructive and also i think to for matt and his organization to actually have a grasp on what we do and the value that we're driving for customers so that's another thing right is that like if you're selling something that's like a highly highly technical product it's like are your the people on the revenue team really gonna actually understand why the customer's buying and what's gonna drive them, which
1: is in turn gonna drive your deal structures, which is in turn gonna drive revenue. We all want the revenue to come in. Like you said, we're all on the same team, but it's a hard job. I mean, there's a reason I'm in accounting and not sales, right? Trying to be understanding of that and look at it as a partnership. And I think every accountant I know, a revenue accountant, they wanna be involved in things early. So when someone comes to you, that's what you've asked for, right? It might not be the best timing, But that's what you've asked for. That's what you want to know about. And that's the way you can make sure that things are going to happen the way they need to. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers. Oh, it's so much more than that.
0: Modernization. By streamlining
1: the process. So let's get
0: right down to business.
1: And modern problems require modern solutions.
0: Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary.
1: Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Matt Dobson, SVP, Chief Accounting Officer at Zora, and Aaron Kersner, Regional VP of Strategic Accounts at Zora. Now, here's your host, M. Daigle, passionate revenue accountant,
2: RevRec automation expert, and general manager of Zora Revenue. Hey, welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Hey, pleasure to be here.
2: So I'm super excited. You guys are my first Zora colleague guests on the podcast with me. So very, very excited. I know each of you will bring something a little special to it given the different types of roles each of you play and in my past, knowing how a CAO and a sales leader would interact. So this will get really interesting and I'm sure will be great for all of our listeners today. But before we jump into the nitty gritty, I wanna just start with a few like opening questions, a couple that I ask every time. We're gonna start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. Matt, curious, can you share with us kind of the craziest year end or quarter close story you may have either experienced or heard from any of your colleagues? Sure. Yeah, I mean we can
1: I've had a couple crazy ones, but I think for me, <laughs> um, one of the first years I was working in my previous role, we had some deals that pushed right to the end of the quarter. They were key for our our delivering our quarter end. And I was literally on the phone with the customer, our general counsel, and the president of our North America operations right up until midnight. And you could tell, you know, it wasn't going to happen, but no one was going to give it up. So we were on the phone till midnight. Unfortunately, the deal didn't happen. But, you know, lots of lots of quarters where we were in the office, sitting there midnight until 3 a.m. sometimes because we were on the East Coast and closing deals on the West Coast. So, you know, lots of late nights, you know, it's fun in retrospect, but at the time, definitely a little bit stressful.
2: I hear you. You know, I've kind of joked in the past, but I've literally been standing at the edge of a shipping dock at midnight. And it sounds kind of crazy, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners can appreciate this. But we had like our auditor standing there, myself, and we had all of the guys kind of like throwing boxes onto a UPS truck, just trying to like get it all on by midnight. And then as soon as like, you know, the countdown happened, it was like the door went down. So can totally appreciate that. Yeah, we've had a few that
1: Ken came in at like 12.03 and, you know, unfortunately we can't change time. So we sent those people a clock for the next quarter, but
2: was
1: (laughs) not much you can do.
2: A nice little closing quarter gift to remind them for the next one to get it in three minutes before instead of three minutes after. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Good starts in next year.
2: Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that I have started asking every single guest is how you refer to the holistic revenue process. And I've gotten a a plethora of responses, but how do you respond or refer to it? Is it order to revenue, quote to cash, lead to reporting? What does that look like?
1: For me, on my side, I usually say quote to cash. I think that's just historically what I've heard. You know, in most of the businesses where I've worked, the cash does come after we start booking the revenue. So that's kind of how I've looked at it. Obviously, I've heard quote to revenue, and then you get some of the opportunity, you know, you can go all the way up to opportunity depending on how you look at it. So, but I've always been a quote to cash person.
2: I like it. Now, Aaron, my friend, everybody listening, as a sales leader here on this accounting podcast, I have to ask, why did I ask you?
0: Well, I think there's two layers to it, right? <laughs> Layer one is Matt, Matt and I have worked together really well. I think, you know, I've, I've been in technology sales for over a decade. I've had a lot of mats, right? I've had the mats <laughs> that I don't want to go to and do everything I possibly can to avoid talking or interacting at all with Matt and Matt's organization. <laughs> and that, that, that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then I've also had... Matt and his organization, who has been a really really great partner to me and also I think made me a better seller by helping me understand some of the reasonings behind deal constructs. So I just think it would be a great thing to talk about something that would improve relationships between accounting and sales all over the place. And also I think making sellers jobs easier. So it's something I'm really passionate about. And then the level two part is just kind of buttering Matt up the next time I bring him a really weird deal. (laughs)
2: I hear you on that one. I have to say though, Erin, I ask the question in jest because if there has ever been a sales leader that I've worked with and you know, I'm sure we'll talk through it a little bit here, you have definitely taken on ownership of it, learned why all of this is so important and really done a lot. So kudos to you. I don't want to jump into this whole podcast on a negative note that was more in jest. <laughs> so let's move into work. So Matt, let's start with you. Can you tell me about like what you're working on right now? What has you interested or maybe scared going to sleep at night? What what are you working on right now?
1: Yeah, so, you know, luckily I, there's not too many things that are scaring me at the moment, but there's always something out there. You know, we did we've done some big projects on the IT side to update our systems, and we've really started to see the benefits of that. So that's been a focus really shifting from some of the, you know, the IT technical components of our updates to looking at our processes and see how we can better align those, working with our auditors to see how we can make the audit more efficient, maybe simplify the controls, automate some controls. You know, really, for me, my team, you know, we have a lot of different areas of accounting, but I've worked in revenue in the past. That's an area that's kind of near and dear to my heart. And the focus for me is I think the team can add a ton of value working with people like Aaron, working with the sales teams. And I don't want them to spend a ton of time closing, right? I mean, that's not everybody's favorite part of the job. So how can we get more efficient there? And then how can we be better business partners, right? How can we work with the field? How can we work with our other partners and, you know, helping explore cost savings, helping structure deals, helping to understand what customers need and how we can best, you know, best meet those needs while also kind of meeting the requirements we have in terms of predictability of revenue and the forecasts we've given to the street. So I think that's where the job gets interesting. And the more of that we can do for people, the better.
2: I agree. And it probably also makes your team feel a lot more strategic. And like, like you said, nobody loves the part of the business where you get to close the books every month or every quarter going through that process, but allows your team to probably feel a little bit more of that ownership that they might not feel otherwise.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they can they can work more closely with PNA. We can really make sure that our forecasts are on point. I mean, they can really add a lot of value. Having that expertise is really important. Knowing what's going to happen, how deals are going to look when they come through. So that's really what I want them to focus on. And I think, you know, we've done a pretty good job recently of moving in that direction. So I'm really happy with the team.
2: That's awesome, and
0: Matt.
1: Right? It's there's nothing that you're scared of or keeping
0: you up at night
2: yet.
1: Right.
0: So, <laughs> I mean, there's always, you know, you're always
1: nervous, right? Any phone call, anything like that, you know, surprises aren't the best thing in this business. Um, but yeah. You know, but I think we have the right processes in place. We have the right tools in place. We're comfortable with that. We've got a really good team. So, you know, I try to try to get my sleep still as much as I can with little kids in the house. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, revenue is obviously the biggest area that we have, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. And it's the one you worry about most, right? You have an issue in other areas. It's usually probably not material. It's not something that the investors are going to be as focused on. But revenue is the number that they care about most. I mean, we're looking at ARR. We're looking at revenue. Those are the things we report to the street. That's what we're measured on. And it's the one area where Todd, the CFO, and myself, thats a, that's our biggest concern, right? That number has to be right. We don't want surprises. We want as much predictability as we can. And we want to make sure we get it right every month, every quarter, every year.
2: Absolutely. So we can keep you sleeping well at night. Aaron, now you have me a little nervous based on what you sort of joked about there. <laughs> Maybe you know something we don't. <laughs> but what's going on in your world right now? What has you interested? What are you working on? And that sort of thing, especially as it relates to working with Matt and his team.
0: Yeah. So I think from, from my perspective, we're seeing you know a, a couple big trends in the industry right now just across our customer base right we're primarily working with technology companies manufacturers and media are kind of our big segments and across the three of them we're seeing kind of this this big trend around internationalization right so you know growth is slowing in north america so companies are looking to other to other countries to try to drive growth and we're we're seeing big trends around the shift to consumption based models right so we're you know we're not here to necessarily talk about those trends specifically as much as i could but what that's doing is it's forcing us to kind of rethink what's important in our own deal structures right as companies are doing this and we're supporting these shifts right or companies are thinking about ways to leverage our platform perhaps that have been corner cases in the past and now they're not corner cases anymore so you know, perhaps things that used to be our value metrics that we leaned on heavily have to change what we count and to align, you know, our commercial structures with customers realized value. So as we, as the market evolves and as the value that we're driving to our customers evolves, it also forces the need for us to change some of our commercial structures. And, you know, so so Matt and I have been working on that Specifically, as we think about going to market with new products like Zora Payments standalone, going to market and helping customers do things that are more consumption based or even billing and and doing order to cash and revenue for things like hard goods, which traditionally we've been focused more on recurring and subscription. You know, how how do we change our constructs around that? So I think, you know, those are the two trends that are really driving our business from a sales perspective and what the value that we're bringing to our customers and is thus, you know, driving how I'm interacting with Matt and his team.
2: Hey there, I'm Em Daigle, Passionate Revenue Accountant and General Manager for Zora Revenue. I've been working on something really exciting that I don't think you're going to want to miss. On September 12th, we're going to be hosting our very first Modern Accounting Summit with our friends at EY, PwC, and Deloitte. It's a virtual event and we're offering CPE credits for it. So please join us as we talk about our State of Revenue Accounting Report We're also going to be talking about generative AI as it relates to accounting workflows. And we're going to have a roundtable discussion with a number of accounting leaders. So again, you're not going to want to miss it. And if you can't join us live, please still register because you'll be eligible for those CPE credits even when you watch on demand. Hope to see you there. Let's jump to the general ledger. It's such an interesting topic because the accounting sales relationship, although we're joking here at the beginning and talking about how, you know, or alluding to the fact that it's really traditionally had a bad rap in the industry. There's even memes about it, right? So. Curious though, you guys have really come together and that's exactly why we have you both on. What's your relationship like and what do you think makes that work? Aaron, let's start with you. From your perspective or from a sales perspective, what are some of the the benefits of that and and what you've kind of come over or maybe obstacles that you've been able to overcome by yeah. by having this relationship?
0: So I think, you know, a big part of it is like, and and this is a very well-worn path. So, you know, if you're listening to this, don't roll your eyes, but (laughs) everybody knows about Amazon and the institutional yes versus the institutional no, right? So anyone that doesn't at Amazon, you got to say yes to things by default. If you say no, you got to write a memo as to why. So I think historically, a, a lot of deal desk functions and a lot of revenue functions kind of Drive the institutional no versus starting starting with the institutional yes, and I think part of what's made Matt's organization and, and and my organization work a lot more closely together is moving away from that from a cultural perspective, right? And not necessarily starting with an institutional yes, like I'll, but I'll take an <laughs> institutional maybe, right? <laughs> so like just be, kind of being willing to to have a conversation that's constructive, and also I think to for Matt and his organization to actually have a grasp on what we do and the value that we're driving for customers, right? So that's, that's another thing, right? Is that like, if you're selling something that's like a highly, highly technical product, it's like, are your, are your, the people on the revenue team really going to actually understand why the customer's buying and what's going to drive them, which is in turn going to drive your deal structures, which is in turn going to drive revenue, right? So I think number one is, not starting with no so we don't have to say start with yes but not starting with no right (laughs) i think number two is having a high level understanding of the value that you're driving to customers because that ultimately impacts revenue because it impacts your deal structures, right? And I think just due to the space that we play in, like in the order to cash space, like it's kind of unfair for us as an org because like, of course, Matt's organization is going to be tight to that stuff. But them having an understanding of why the customer's buying will help us kind of all get around the table together and, and kind of throw ideas around in terms of like, well, what about this structure? Or what about that structure or, or things like that? And I and I think the last thing, and we can get into this more later, is people on the sales side, you know, account executives or, or anybody supporting a sales role, having a high level understanding of things that are kind of the 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 boundaries, and it, from from a commercial perspective, and why those boundaries exist. Right. I spent a lot of time very frustrated really early in my career as to like, well, why can't we just do it this way? Like what? Like this makes total sense to me, like, but and not understanding that there were actually financial and compliance reasons as to why you couldn't structure a deal in that specific way. So I think coaching and training my reps on my team and, and other leaders on my team on some of that and giving them that understanding of where the fences exist and why helps them have a lot more productive conversation with deal desk and Matt's organization.
2: I totally agree on that one. Matt, curious, what has worked out really well from your perspective?
1: You know, I think the partnership's been really good. I mean, I don't know that we're to the institutional yes yet, but to me, (laughs) it's important. I mean, we're all working towards the same thing, right? We want to make sales. We want to get new customers. We want to make our customers successful on the solutions they buy. One of the things that was interesting to me joining Zora is, you know, the target customer is oftentimes the CAO, CFO, along with the CIO. We use our own solutions, so we have a good understanding of kind of best practices, how we use them, how it works. But to me, you know, understanding kind of the asks that are coming from the field is really important. You know, what do we want to do? Why do we want to do it? What are the customer's constraints, right? Are they concerned about cash flow? Are they concerned about other things? And then, you know, sometimes the answer, unfortunately, to certain things is no, but kind of explaining why, you know, why we don't want to do that, what the implications are. And then looking for alternatives. Is there another way to address what the customer is asking for? You know, and I think Aaron and his team have always been really open to that. I mean, we can work through things. We can solve a lot of problems. It might not be exactly what the customer wants. It might not be exactly what we want to do. But kind of coming out to a situation that's mutually beneficial, it gets the customer close enough to what they need, puts them in a position to be successful, also puts us in a position where it's a deal that's good for the company. It's a deal we want to do. And I think it's really important to kind of not just give that no answer, but kind of explain, all right, this is why we don't want to do that. These are the implications <laughs> down downstream, you know, whether it's from a scalability perspective or it's from, you know, we're going to have to defer a bunch of revenue and therefore that this deal isn't you know, nearly as good for us. There's oftentimes different ways to solve the problem. And I think we can work through the, the better partnership, the more we work through that together, the better outcome we're going to have. And the earlier we're involved in the process, the better, right? I mean, that's when we can really kind of help steer the deal structuring, work through ideas, work through different concepts with the sales team. Obviously, once the deal's closed, if there's a deferral, all we're doing is booking it. That doesn't add a ton of value. And I think that partnership's really where, like I mentioned earlier, it's the exciting part of the job. It's where we can add a lot of value. I think it's where the team really does a great job here. One of the other ways that having a close relationship with Matt and his
0: team has actually made Me a better sales leader, and my sellers better sellers, is the fact that um, I feel as though we're much more credible negotiators. Because Mm -hmm. if you if you're negotiating with someone that's you know it's procurement and they're part of the finance organization typically, and there's maybe a representative from finance in the room because they're our buyer, right? I've spent a lot of time early in my career going back and saying like, well, you know, okay, you asked us for five things and it's like, no, 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 yes, or or whatever. (laughs) But not being able to actually understand like, you know, it's just like, well, I went to our finance team, like, you know, I brought this up for you and went to bat for you. But like not actually being able to explain to the customer and give some justification around it, right? So like going to a customer and saying, hey, listen, like this thing you asked for, we both know that if we were to structure the deal that way, it's not a deal for us. So like we, we then lose our reason to to do this transaction, right? So it allows me to be a lot more credible. And instead of just telling a customer no, it's like, well, we can't do that because then, you know, it's not from a revenue recognition or a finance perspective, or it's no longer a compliant deal or it's a deferral. And the customer's like, okay, I get it. Like we don't offer this to our customers either, but I had to ask. <laughs>
2: I I think that's a fabulous point, Aaron. I think having the ability to understand the why doesn't just make you feel better about getting maybe that no, that is maybe not something that can be, we can think about a different way or, or whatever it might be, but being able to go back and have that conversation gives you that credibility with your buyer as well. And so I think that goes a long way especially to Matt, to your point, they often are involved in that process anyway. So it, it makes sense all around to have those those open discussions in both directions. So curious, Aaron, we'll start with you, but what advice would you give to our listeners on the accounting side of the house If they're having challenges in their organizations with something like this, what are some of like maybe the actionable steps or some advice that you would give to those accounting teams to become a partner with the sales organization?
0: Yeah, I think number one would just be taking a step back from the day-to-day of... Like, you know, you might, you might be doing something that's kind of critical to your day-to-day function as it relates to revenue, closing books, getting stuff for the FP&A team, you know, and, and, you know, you have someone from the sales organization that comes in with like, Hey, you know, I got this customer with this wacky deal. You got to stop what you're doing, you know, turn to them. Like, you know, it just, it's disruptive to you. So you're like, instantly there might be like tension in that organization. And it's just like, listen, just take a step back and realize that like, it's same team. You know, like this is someone that like, you know, their remit is to go bring revenue or ACV or renewals or whatever, whatever they are into into the organization, right? And and you know, your remit is obviously to to you know do what you're doing as it relates to to accounting and revenue. I think it's just like remind yourselves that you're both actually trying to accomplish the same thing in the end, which is drive drive revenue and, and drive your stock price or drive, you know, whatever your valuation is or anything like that. Right. So I think it's like that mentality of same team versus like you know this concept where the revenue or the finance team is like existing in this black box like you know just realize if you're a, if you're a revenue accountant or you're a deal desk person that the, the sales rep that's coming to you probably doesn't have a deep understanding of a lot of the concepts that are going to drive the structures of how you do contracts the way you do and you know it's it's it, I think just kind of coming at it with like same team and also partially a little bit of an educational tact, I think really goes a long way and, or being willing, you know, for the right people, if it's their role to actually be customer facing, right. And actually sit down with a customer and participate in that, right. You'd be absolutely amazed how many cycles it condenses if you know you're you're churning on an order form and there's business terms and there's stuff that doesn't need the legal team and like the you know the procurement person and the accounting person and the, and the salespeople and the finance people all get on the phone at once and it can turn something that would take two or three weeks into a single one or two hour call. So I would say you know I think it's come with the fact that you're on the same team. I think come with the fact that that person might need a little bit of education as to the intricacies of what's going on underneath the waterline. And number three is like, don't necessarily be afraid to, to be customer facing. It's probably the one of the highest value things that you can do for the organization and also just drives a tremendous amount of efficiency inside the building.
2: Those are really great points of advice, wholeheartedly agree with all of them, especially in my past life, even being able to jump on some of those and participate on some of those negotiation calls. I have to say that was actually something that I found to be exhilarating in my day versus rather than, you know, sitting behind a computer. it, It really, that's what something I really liked doing. So it's interesting that that can also benefits you as well. Now, Matt, from your perspective, Do you have advice also for the accounting teams, but from more an accounting perspective and things that you've learned through building this partnership with with Aaron and team?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think Aaron hit some really good points there, right? You know, I think understanding kind of sales perspective as well. I mean, sales is hard. You're going out, you're selling to a customer. They're asking for things. Some of those are easy for us to do. Some of them aren't. We all want to get the deal closed. We all want the revenue to come in. You were like you said, we're all on the same team, but it's a hard job. I mean, there's a reason I'm in accounting and not sales, right? (laughs) So, you know, trying to be understanding of that and look at it as a partnership. And I think every accountant I know, revenue accountant, they want to be involved in things early. So when someone comes to you, that's what you've asked for, right? Like that, it might not be the best timing, but that's what you've asked for. That's what you want to know about. And that's the way you can make sure that things are going to happen the way they need to. And I think, For me, I'm the same way, Emily, that you, as you were, like you said, I I like getting on calls with customers. I like going out to see customers. If I can help from that perspective, I do think it tends to be a lot more efficient, giving some yeses right away and kind of working through the easy points. You can knock those out and also hearing directly from the customer. You know, you can hear what their issues are. You can prod a little bit to get a better understanding and maybe come up with a solve that, you know, having someone translate in the middle would be more difficult to come up with. Right, so I think you know that is a place we can add a lot of value. That's something I'm always happy to do with the teams here, but just you know, really being focused on the fact that it is a partnership, and the earlier we're involved, I think the more value we can provide. So you know, the more people are coming to us, the better in my mind. Um, procurement's part of my organization here too, so I know it's hard to negotiate. I know the things I ask for are probably not the same things I'd want to give on the other side. So it's hard. I mean, it's it's definitely not easy. So we i think having that perspective and going in and saying we all want to get this done let's figure out the best way to do it is is really how you can have a positive relationship
2: yeah it's a great reminder that we are all working toward the same goal so it only benefits to everyone to help one another through that. It's funny, as both of you were talking, the word that kept popping in my head was trust. And I think that's something that isn't necessarily something inherent to sales and finance teams traditionally, but that's really something that really what you guys have built is trust in one another because, you know, Aaron, you'll bring Matt in sooner into the deal. And then Matt, you're already up to speed on what's going on, what the potential ask is, already probably trying to help navigate some of the things that might be challenges. So it's a really interesting sort of way to kind of like approach a new sort of partnership that maybe didn't always exist in in these types of organizations. So Matt, let's talk a little bit about deal desk. So fairly common in like the traditional B2B SaaS companies, maybe not so common in some other industries just yet, but let's kind of like break it down first for the audience. What is it for maybe for those who don't know, what is it most importantly? And then what are the benefits behind it? What are some of those things that that you've started to see help? And then Aaron, I'm gonna flip it to you right after and ask from your perspective as well.
1: Yeah. So I mean Deal Desk really is the team that we have that probably best understands, you know, the mechanics of our pricing, those kind of things. Also, they're the ones who are creating order forms for customers and they see a lot of deals, right? So that's what I always tell. The, the sales teams to leverage them because they're doing a lot of order forms. They see a lot of deals. They know what we've done in the past. They can provide um, kind of a first point of entry in the finance and kind of also give an idea of, you know, all right, these are the things we typically can do. This is an ask that we've gotten and we've said no to. So maybe let's figure out a way to navigate around that. Because not every issue is going to be a revenue issue, right? I mean, we're looking at cash flow, we're looking at lots of different things. And Deal Desk is really that first entry point for the sales team to kind of start looking at the deal, structuring the deal, and getting that first assistance from the finance team. And obviously, as it gets more complicated, more people will get involved. For us, it's great because it gives us early visibility, right? I've seen deal deaths at different places in organizations. Sometimes it's more of a sales ops role. Sometimes it's more of a contracts role that sits in legal. Here, it's in finance. And I think for us, that's great because it gives us that early visibility into the deal. We make sure that you know things that are going out are in line with what we want. And we're not getting surprised on the back end from an accounting perspective.
2: Yeah. And Aaron, from your perspective, right, like that relationship between deal desk and the field, can you talk to some of the things that, you know, you've kind of alluded to the understanding of why there may be certain points from a RevRec perspective, things can't be done or just that that understanding has helped you. But like, why is each one of those things so important? And like, how specifically has that helped you?
0: yeah so I think like just just think about some common examples, right? so like there there's a lot of nuance obviously around selling to existing customers that have existing contracts, right mm-hmm. and how and how recognizing recurring revenue is associated with those existing customers, right? So just like having having the field have an understanding of like what the constructs are of Listen if you have an existing customer that has a contract that goes through December of next year and they buy an add-on and that that term has to also co-term with the the, the end date of December of next year or else it's not recurring revenue. <laughs> and if it's not recurring revenue and you're specifically compensated on recurring revenue, yes the company will get that cash, but you're not compensated on it. It doesn't retire your quota and also it doesn't hit our actual ACV, right? So like that's that's one example, mm-hmm. but just like helping, you know, working with deal desk or having your deal desk train some of your account executives on something as small as that of like, listen, here's the rule. Here's why the rule exists. Your customers should appreciate that rule. It doesn't mean they necessarily have to accept it. Or maybe they just ask you to, you know, they're asking you to do a deal that doesn't count for revenue, which obviously doesn't make sense. Or, you know, dealing with, the concept of a free period that like, doesn't really exist, right, from a revenue recognition perspective, or you know, the, the difference between payment terms with you know and delaying a start date, right? So, like, you know, the concept of delaying the commencement of a contract versus the contract commencing, but the customer having more time to pay the bill, right? Like, is the customer worried about cash flow or is the customer worried about actually having this liability on their books or this contract? right? Maybe it's not technically a liability, don't correct me, but uh, I'm not an accountant by trade. But regardless, like th- those are the types of things that, you know, my team has a really clear understanding of what the boundaries and what the guidelines are. So now like the number of deals that hit deal desk that are, are immediate no-go is reduced significantly. You know what I mean? So I think training account executives on high level guidelines like that, to me is really is a really important function of of Deal Desk. And also it'll just make Deal Desk better because there's less stuff coming to them. That's an instant no.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And you're making my heart very happy by hearing you even just talk through some of these things that in my past life somebody would probably just try and pull me in at the very end of a negotiation and maybe throw it on my desk for like a, can you just approve this quickly? You know, it's end of the quarter. I haven't been brought in and they're just trying to like push it by. But the fact that you're even talking about some of these concepts makes me very happy. Matt, it must also make you proud as well. And you kind of alluded to this, Aaron, but there's something to you having that knowledge so that you have credibility with the customer. But there's also probably something just to, how you even approach your relationship with that customer overall, not over-promising something to them and then have to go back and, you know, have to go through the explanation. If you know something is a hard no because of maybe certain guidelines or, or different types of policies that the company has, it it puts you in a better light from the start.
0: It it also impacts how you approach putting a deal together with a customer in my experience, because, Like I've had situations in the past where instead of kind of really understanding holistically what the transaction is going to look like and everything that the customer wants in terms of business terms, payment terms, structuring, length of time, like all that stuff, we've kind of done it piecemeal. And, you know, I was probably intentional by the procurement team, uh, you know, on the other side, but what ended up happening is that like, we agreed to something in phase one, and then we agreed to something in phase three, and they're getting progressively more difficult, and we're getting progressively closer to the the date, and then in phase five, they're asking for something, we decide to agree to it, and it actually broke something that we agreed to in phase one. Mm-hmm. And and all and and we agreed to five because we were looking at five in a vacuum and we forgot about not not forgot but just you know in the yeah. in the heat of the deal it was six weeks ago we forgot about this little thing that they asked for and now all of a sudden we're in like the worst possible situation with the customer where we agreed to these five things but we actually we actually can't can't do them all together so it's really a, changed how I approach those types of conversations where it's like listen like. I understand you want to try to break things up to try to get the, you know, the best financial deal possible, but actually it's, it's going to end up kind of harming both of us and spending a lot more time on it. So let's just get on the table. Like, what do you need? Here's my guidelines in terms of the stuff I can and can't do. And let's put something together together. So like that specific battle scar is something (laughs) that like um, has forever changed how I approach like business terms, negotiation, and specifically for terms that are going to impact RevRec.
2: Well, hopefully others can take your battle scar as a learning opportunity and be able to turn that into their battle scar that they can take forward. So Matt, you've been here for a few years now. Curious if our deal desk here at Zora has evolved at all since you've gotten here and what that journey looks like. Maybe like what were we solving for before? What did we see a need to change? Maybe even the teams involved or the process has has there been anything there that you've kind of pushed with the team?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the business partnering is certainly an aspect of it, right? We want to make sure that we're working to understand the ask, get them all on the table and really have deal desk service at first point of contact. I think, you know, they're going to have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things so they can really provide guidance, whether it's on what we look for in terms of payment terms, whether it's some basic revenue recognition things. So driving that kind of that partnership that we've talked about a lot, but also just trying to be as efficient as possible, right? In looking at how do we streamline, get order forms turned around, you know, a little bit faster. And it's similar to what I said about revenue. I mean, in my mind, there's some deals that are fairly straightforward. And if we can automate those as much as possible or streamline that, that's where we want to be because we want DealDust to really be partnering on those more complex, complicated deals potentially with bigger customers with more history that adds complexity. And that's where really where they can add, add value. Right. I mean, I think we want to get away from as much as we can. Some of that very basic, very straightforward draft order form. We don't want them spending <laughs> a ton of time on that. We want them working with people like Aaron to help them, you know, get through the deal process and and pull the right people in as needed. Right. I mean, they're, like I said, they're our first person point of contact. So whether they need somebody from product, whether they need some somebody from finance, myself, or revenue, you know, kind of getting those pieces together, making sure everybody understands it up front. The team's done a really good job with that. But, you know, we continue to look for ways to make the process more efficient so that they can really be those partners we want them to be. And so
0: for for revenue accountants that are listening to this, you can screen grab this, send it to salespeople, but I just wanted to make one thing super clear. Ordering documents are not proposals. (laughs) right? So do not run through a hundred iterations of ordering documents and put your deal desk through hell because you're still in the process of trying to work with the customer on what the bill of materials is and what the basic terms are, right? So really good rule of thumb and, you know, anyone deal desk or revenue listening to this, you know, I'm happy to talk to your sales team, but please, keep it in a slide or on a whiteboard (laughs) until you're at least like, you know, at agreement in principle on the bill of materials and largely the commercials. It's going to help you. It's going to help you move faster. It's going to help the deal desk move a hell of a lot faster as well. So yeah, so that just floated to the top of my head. I think that, that was another important evolution for me in coming to Zora and working with Matt's team because. You know, in a lot of organizations, that is the that, that is how you kind of train salespeople is like, yeah, like, go get an ordering document. You know, the quicker you get it in the customer's hand, the quicker it's going to get signed, right? But the reality is that if there's 20 revs of the document, your deal desk is going to hate you. And <laughs> the customer's probably going to hate you too, because there's versioning issues and stuff like that.
2: I love it. That is a, a PSA to all. So Aaron, we're going to probably take that in a clip and somehow share it around with all the sales <laughs> organizations. So thank you for that. Great. So Matt, curious, you know, I'd be remiss, you're on this podcast, a lot of times automation and revenue automation comes up. For those that don't know, Zora does use Zora. And so curious if you can just speak at a high level about maybe some of the process improvements that you've felt through revenue automation, what it's really done for your team and how that's evolved your revenue organization.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I said, one of the things that was really interesting coming here was the fact that we are A customer, right? We're using the product, we see how it works, and we have good access to the product team too. So that's always nice as well. But for us, you know, revenue, like I said, it's probably the one of the most complicated areas, and certainly the one that gets the most attention from outside investors. So we want to make sure that it's something we can rely on. And, you know, we're comfortable with it. And the automation really, I mean, there's two things, right? First, it makes that close simpler. You know, the more automation you have in terms of, from the quote to the billing to the revenue, you're not manually entering things. There's not people going in and running spreadsheets. You can have confidence that you're not relying on some formulas somewhere that if they get off, you could have a significant difference. And also, you know, from an audit perspective, it's a lot easier to put controls around the system. It's a lot easier to make sure that, you know, increase your scopes. I mean, we've been successful there too in getting more efficient at what we're looking at. So we're really addressing risk as opposed to, just covering a certain number of contract reviews or something like that. So really, you know, it gives us Todd and I confidence that the numbers we're getting are correct. they are things that we can rely on and we're not having those potential breakdowns in the system. And the team's, you know, gotten a lot more efficient since I've been here in terms of the close, which is something they're really proud of. And I'm, you know, I'm really proud that we made that change. And there's definitely things we can continue to do, right? I mean, the first step is certainly having the right systems in place, but also then looking at your processes, are there things you don't need to do anymore? Because you have a reliable system can you look at automated controls versus manual controls can you increase the automation of things coming through right not every deal is going to look the same you know most cpq systems aren't going to handle 100 percent of deal types there's going to be things that are outliers but how do you minimize that so that you have the most kind of flowing through that automated process and then you can spend your time where where the complexity lies it also frees up more time for that business partner we talked about earlier
2: As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. Just kind of curious from each of your perspective as a final thought, Matt, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for those in the accounting profession in general?
1: I mean, I think what I see as the biggest opportunity is typically I think accountants are viewed as in the back office, kind of working on the close, working on things like that. And there's certainly value there. I mean, that is kind of table stakes, right? I mean, you have to get the numbers right. You have to close the books. But I think there's better systems out there. You can automate more. There's a lot of interesting things that are happening to take away some of that, you know, recurring work or monotonous work. And it's shifting to focusing on how can I be a business partner, right? I don't know that that's always been the focus of accountants. But how can I make an impact on the organization, whether it's on helping the sales team to structure deals or helping to come up with, you know, new opportunities for pricing or looking at things like that? You know, I think that's really where you can start adding value and show kind of a difference and make an impact on the organization. And I think, you know, it's something that probably accountants may have been slower to than some other areas, but it's really the focus now. I mean, if you look at CFO roles, if you look at my role. Um, you know, we're really focused on how can we b- add value to the organization, not just getting the numbers right.
2: Perfect. And then Aaron, as a sales leader in the space, you've obviously kind of overcome a lot of the hurdles that maybe some others haven't. What's a way that somebody in the accounting space could sort of like start to break through to a sales leader to kind of start that relationship?
0: I think the North Star is how, how do I help you close more deals faster? right? I mean, that's what every sales leader cares about, right? Is is retention and ACV and acceleration, right? And, and time to close, right? And I'm not just saying that because I'm on an accounting podcast, but truly I can <laughs> tell you that Matt, Matt's team have helped us get in transactions into a quarter that would have otherwise pushed. Having just general understanding within my team due to education from Matt's team have, have helped us accelerate, Opportunities or or closing up a deal that we otherwise wouldn't have. So I think overall, like if if you're a revenue person and you have a contentious relationship with your sales team, it's like, hey, listen, like this is my North Star and how I'm gonna help you. And yes, I have all these other all the things and all these other, you know, revenue contracts and, and my day job around that. But if we're not bringing in SOs, then we don't have our Cs, right? <laughs> so like, how do I help you? Let's let's repair the relationship. Let's talk a little bit about some of the why and how we can work together more closely and get, get into deals earlier so that we can help you with that.
2: Help me help you. I like it. Matt and Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a true pleasure chatting with you. And I look forward to the next time I can talk you into coming on this podcast with me.
1: No, thanks for having us. Thank you. We really enjoyed it.
2: And listeners, my DMs are always open to you. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdaigle. Links are in the show notes and stay in touch for more episodes and insights from other revenue and accounting and you never know sales leaders. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.